0: Um, Providence Road Church is also a bilingual church, and uh, after having worked for many years in Spanish ministry, that's especially a pleasure, uh, a real pleasure for me to be able to uh, be at home with God's people uh, from all around the world. This morning, I'd like to uh, speak about happiness. Are you Happy? You know, the little song, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You don't you need don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> or do you want to be happy? You know, um, well, do you have a right to be happy? You hear that sometimes. Well, don't I have a right to be happy? Can't I do what I want to do, so I'll be happy? And the world that surrounds us would like to tell us how to be happy. And we especially notice this in, in our advertising. They'll tell us all the things that will make our lives so much happier and nicer, especially if we buy their product, you know, the, whatever it is, a cosmetic or a drink or, or food or a, you take some medicine that'll cure all your ills or whatever it is. We're surrounded by those who will tell us how to make our lives happy, how to make our lives better. We're told what values to accept, what to believe, and we're having it crammed down our throats sometimes that this is what is real, this is what is happy. God talks about that in his word. And uh, so let's just see what God says about happiness this morning. Obviously, we're not going to touch everything in the Bible that he has to say about it, but there are two passages that come to mind uh, one in the New Testament, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, we have the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes really are saying, happy is the one who's this way and that. We're not going to talk about that this morning. We're going to go to the Old Testament to the first Psalm. Psalm 1 starts out saying, blessed is the man, or happy is the man. And uh, so let's just read that the scripture this morning. And then I'd like to kind of take it apart. It's not terribly complicated. Um, I don't think I'll preach as long as your pastor normally does, but I'm just assuming he preaches for a long time. The good ones do. Anyway, here's what, what Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's look to the Lord again in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are here in our midst this morning. And we thank you that you know us as we just read in your word, that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know the most intimate parts of our hearts. I pray this morning that you would open our minds and our hearts to you to receive from your word what you have to say for us and to us. I pray that you would touch our lives in such a way that as we go forth from here this morning, we will be changed. We will be more committed to you. We will be more uh, ready to obey you and to live our lives in a way that brings honor to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm begins with the word blessed or happy. And it means just what we're talking about, happiness. When we bless someone, we're wishing them happiness and favor, especially uh, when we're talking, you know, God bless you. We want God to bless them and give them favor. And in a church context such as this, we're pretty apt to say that, aren't we? God bless you. And we mean it, but what are we meaning by that? What do we mean when we ask for God to bless someone? Our passage this morning helps us to understand this. This almost begins by telling us three things that the blessed person does not do. It starts with the negative. All three have to do with our associations and our relationship with these associates. In Spanish, there's a saying, Dime con quien andas y te diré quien eres. Tell me who you spend time with and I will tell you who you are. And it's true. The people around us affect us. We tend to express ourselves like they express themselves. We tend to, our ideas tend to be more like theirs. So we need to be very careful with the people that we surround ourselves with. Now I realize, to some extent, we cannot control who we associate with. We're born into a certain family. That's something that we don't control. At work, we can't easily control the people that work with us. Or at school, your classmates, your professors, your teachers... We don't have a lot of control over that. Our neighbors, we don't have control over that, but we do have control of how we relate to them. I'm not saying cut off all relationships, I'm just saying how do we allow them to affect the way we think, the way we act, the way we talk. So let's take a look at the verse one. <clears throat> that talks about how we control, how we relate to them. Starts out with Blessed is the man who does not walk, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. When we talk about in, in scripture, many times it talks about how a person walks, it's talking about how they conduct themselves, their daily lives, what they're like, their lifestyle, their values. and God says blessed is the man who does not walk after the counsel the advice of the ungodly of those who have values that are hostile to God nor stands in the path of sinners now there's a difference between walking in the, pay, in the way and there's and standing when you're standing, you're not going anywhere. You're just there. You're loitering around. In the pathway of sinners, where wicked people are going around. This word was used to describe this, the ungodly, the sinners. That word was used in Genesis chapter 13 to describe the men of Sodom that were vile, evil men in every respect not just homosexual, but they were ungodly. They were murderers, they were robbers, they were um, deceitful, they were liars. They were ungodly people. Do we loiter around people like that? Pretty soon something starts to rub off. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. We started out walking, by the way, then standing, and now sitting down. When you sit down, you're not going anywhere. It takes effort to move from where you are. It means remaining, abiding with those who are scornful, mocking, boastful, that express... In many ways, their hatred of God and his values. But there's a contrast here. Um, this is not so much about what a man does here, but what he exposes himself to. What are you exposing yourself to in your daily associations? Peter, in writing his first letter in chapter 5, verse 8, said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Just think about that a little bit, that picture. Lions are carnivores. And until we get to the the kingdom... (laughs) they're going to be carnivores they chase after their prayer their prey and they devour them they destroy them and god's word says that satan is like a lion seeking to get you to devour you to kill you Be vigilant, because the adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's what we're up against today in our world. But there's a contrast here. The one who experiences God's blessing is described in in verse 2 of this chapter. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Here's the secret. If you're exposed constantly, and you probably are, to worldly people, worldly values, people who do not respect God or even hate God and hate the things that God loves, how do you balance that out? How do you fight against that? The Word of God. God's Word gives him pleasure, delight, to the point that he meditates in it. He spends time in it. And here's the key for us. Exposing ourselves to God's Word. We need to establish a habit of being in God's Word every day. Uh, probably almost everybody here has one of these things, these telephones, and they can be a real curse. If nothing more, just making us waste a lot of time on useless things. they can draw us into things that are horrible and bad for us. But thank God, there are great apps like the Bible. And you can be in the Bible every day. I use an app with a Bible reading plan that takes me through the whole Bible in one year. So every year I read the whole Bible. Now, it takes some commitment, but it helps me organize it. And more than that, I've discovered that some of the versions of the Bible that are in there, you can also have it read it to you. So you can hear it while you're reading it. You're having trouble sleeping at night, and you have it read to you. So you're hearing from God. You're immersing yourself in God's Word. You're meditating on it. And we need to expose ourselves to what God says to counteract what the world is telling us. The man who is blessed by God, the man who is happy in the spiritual sense, delights in God's Word. It becomes enjoyable to read God's Word. Now, I'll admit, there are places in Scripture that they don't ring my bell. You know, when you read through a chapter of begats, you know, so-and-so begets so-and-so, and so. But even there, every so often you'll see a real nugget that suddenly God says, hey, look at that. And it ties in with something else, and it brings things together for you. So we need to delight ourselves in God's Word so that it will truly penetrate everything that we do, everything we think. So what happens when you immerse yourself in God's Word, when you're meditating in God's Word, you're exposing uh, exposing yourself to it every day? Verse 3 says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Imagine in your, in your mind, we live here in Miami, and some people have a mango tree or an avocado. And when they come into season, they can't eat it all. They're giving it away. We have a, uh, somebody in our church at, at Providence Road. We actually, he lives down here in Homestead, not too far from this church now. <coughs> Excuse me. And the other day I was at, at, uh, uh, coming out of a service. I can't remember what it was. And his wife had the tailgate of the car up, and she had this great big tub full of mangoes, and she was giving everybody mangoes that she could. They had a bunch of mango trees on their property. They can't give them all away. There's so many because the the tree is just prolific and bearing fruit in its season. It's a wonderful picture. But this psalm was written from the viewpoint of someone living in the Middle East where the climate is dry. Here in Miami, it's, well, how many inches of rain did we have today? There, maybe how many inches of rain do you get a year? It's dry. And when there was a, fa- when there was a long period of dryness, a year, two years of ra- without rain, they would have a famine. There would be no, no uh, harvest. Do you remember the story of uh, uh, Abraham? There was a, a famine in the land. And where did he go? He went to Egypt. Now, what was in Egypt? Egypt is a dry land too. There's a beautiful river that pours down through the land. And they, they have little canals to irrigate and so forth. In the, in the delta of that river, that was where the children of Israel settled after jo, uh, Joseph It it was the very best of the land where there was plenty of greenery and plenty of of plants for their, their flocks. But it was because the river provided the rain. So the psalmist is thinking, it's like living next to a river where there's always water. one who delights in the Lord and his word will experience blessing. Let me go over to Jeremiah chapter 17, if you're taking notes, verses 7 and 8. Jeremiah said something almost the same. In fact, when I was reading in Jeremiah and I read this and I thought, hey, that's just like in Psalm 1. Here's what it says. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the river waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. This is very important to the people in that part of the world because rain, water was essential to their way of life as it is ours. We take it for granted because we get more of it than we can use. But the water produced blessing, (coughs) produced fruit. The leaves stayed green on the trees. They didn't wither and dry. What a contrast this is with verses uh, 4 and 5 that describe the ungodly. (coughs) The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. In ancient Israel, when the grain was harvested, the grain had to be separated from its shell, from the chaff. So what they would do is they would trample it, perhaps having their animals walk over it. If, if they were very poor, maybe they would trample it themselves, or they would have an animal pull a sled across the, the grain that was on the ground to loosen the husk that's around the grain. Now, why is that? Because the, the husk has no nutritive value. It's useless to them. So what they would do is after uh, thrashing it, maybe beating it with a stick or something like that to loosen the husk, the the chaff, then they would uh, go up on a, a hill where there was more breeze coming by, and they would take a shovel or some implement, a basket perhaps, and they would toss the grains in the air. And as the breeze or the wind would come through, it would separate out the chaff. And the grain, the part that was useful, would fall to the ground. And so they would spend a lot of time after the harvest had come in, and they were separating the chaff from the grains. This is the picture we have here. The ungodly are not blessed with the Lord. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked will have no standing when they're judged. They'll not be among the congregation of the redeemed. There comes a time when there will be a separation. And we we see this in various places with the... The um, farmer who's, uh, someone came in at night and sowed weeds in among the crop, and his servant said, what are we going to do? Shall we go and pull out all the weeds? He said, no, let it wait till the harvest time, and and then we'll separate it. Well, in the same way, there comes a time when God will make a separation, the wheat from the tares, the, the goats from the sheep, the chaff from the grain... And there will be a time of reckoning. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. There's two ways. There's the way of the, un- the, way of the godly, there's the way of the wicked. And God calls us. Which will you be? Will you trust in Christ Will you obey him? Will you make him a part of your life every day? Or will you reject him? God is just, and he knows our hearts. Are we surrounding ourselves with the ungodly and their values? Are we accepting their ideas? Or are we devoted to God's word? Do we delight in God's Word? Have you come to the point where you really, truly enjoy reading God's Word? Do you meditate on it? Do you fill your minds and your souls with it? We find this contrast again when we get to the end of the Word of God. Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible brings up this same image. Let me read. Revelation 22, verses 1, starting at 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants will serve him. Jumping to verse 14, Blessed are those who do his commandments. Now, literally, what it says is wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. There is going to be a separation God will judge those who despise him, who reject him, but he will give eternal blessing to those who believe in him and value his word. The question I have for us to this morning is, where will you be when God brings this world to a close? Will you be alongside that river? Would it be comfortable for you to be there? Have you become so desirous of God's word, filling your life with what he has to say, that that will be a joyous experience that would be just the the fulfillment of everything you desire? Or have you set God aside and said maybe some other day. Or even worse, just completely rejecting it. God calls us. Do we listen? God speaks to us through his word. Do we put it into our lives? Let's close in a word of prayer. Father and God, This morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing it gives to us as we put it into practice in our lives. We thank you that you are a God of blessing, a God of purpose, and a God of salvation. We ask this morning that you would help us to become more committed to your word and put it in practice in our lives to the point that when Satan is roaring outside, seeking whom to devour, he will not step foot near us. We pray for your protection. We ask for your blessing. We ask for your, the happiness that you bring. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.